guess I'll just open it the way I always do. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Bumblebutt Podcast X. 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 The murderous part behind here. I like that. See, the the echo is very nice. Mm-hmm. I like the way it... Uh... Today, ladies and gentlemen, you know, it's a weird day. It is. You know what I'm saying? It's a... Uh... It's cloudy, I think. It's a little bit chilly. It's definitely within those few days. Is now it's the fall time. I like it, but it's, it's got right. it's kind of thrown my head through a loop a little bit. I'm 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 musty. I mm. feel like my head's full of cobwebs and this just season lag. Juniper berries. Just season lag. Yeah. Herschel, what did you do this week? That's interesting. Mm, what did I do this week? I know I had um a little bit of fun this time. It was my birthday yesterday. I had a ball. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna exactly say what I did, but I did have a ball. You I had. Came, a- I came and see you for a little bit. Yeah, got a birthday cake. Mm. Old mom made a made a old strawberry cake for old Herbie. Yeah, that was fire. Did you finish it? No, not this time. <laughs> you have in the past, I remember. Yeah, not not in a day, but... You just think it's the world's biggest little Debbie. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that cake did look good, it, though. It's fire, though. Did you put it in the fridge when you got home? Yeah, I had good. to. Yeah, I know the breaks. Well, happy birthday, Herball. Thank you, A-Bomb. All I did... My name's Adam. All I did was work, you know? Having a great time at the new job. <laughs> You know, everybody's super nice. Everybody's super friendly. Especially it's, if they give you that, that plug bread. Plug bread is good. Mm. We go get some plug bread up here. I think so. At some point, maybe they'll sponsor us. Maybe my new job will uh, advertise on the podcast. Mm. Can you imagine if my if this podcast was responsible for moving automobiles? You would be gravy, dude. I, I could be a salesman without even being a salesman. That's the part I don't want to do. Is like talk to people. Mm. Salesman-y. Yeah, fuck that. That's no good. But you do this so well. You could do that well, too. This is different. I'm sitting in my own basement. Talking about shit that you want to talk about. With my friend. Yeah, that's true. I'm not selling you a car. Yeah, so yeah, we're going to mark this up. (laughs) Right in my face, salesman? You're going to mark this shit up? Well, Herschel, there's the chair fee, the table fee, the microphone fee. So you're going to have to <laughs> give me like 60 bucks before you leave. Up. I'm not going to agree to that on tape, by the way. That's a good idea. <laughs> That's for the best. Your attorney would approve. And what I'm talking about on tape for, like we still doing this shit on TDKs. <laughs> yeah, got the reel to reel out. <laughs> Hold on, I got to spool a new one. Mm. <laughs> Let's get down to business, Herschel. Let's do it. I know I said we were getting away from stranglers, Yeah, Herschel, yeah. But I lied to you. Of course, that's what stranglers do. I'm a strangler too. <laughs> I'm a strangler Blur too. Bat bat. <laughs> uh, uh, but today we're going to be talking about the happy faced killer. No, okay. we'll understand why he got that moniker later. Mm-hmm. We'll understand what his modus operandi was. The modus operandi. And you know what I just found out? What? Did you ever watch SVU? Of course I did. Who didn't? He's got a new show, Law and Order. Dick Wolf. Law and Order Organized Crime. Mm. And it's got Stabler, the dude. I think I did see something like that. Is the woman still on there too? I think it's just him. Mm. I know she's been running for a long time. Yeah, she's like the captain now. Captain Benson. Damn. Mm. You, you would think they would promote Ice-T to captain. No, nah, hell no. Nah. What Mike Epps say, they cut this ponytail in his <laughs> lines. <laughs> <laughs> Get dead. 
Shout out Mike Epps. Man. Yeah, Mike Epps is funny. Yeah. On Tuesday night, January 23rd, 1990, mm. 23-year-old Tanya Bennett decided to head to the bar to knock back some drinks with a few friends. Whiskey, hopefully. It was a cold, rainy night, which was typical for winter in Portland, Oregon, mm. and Tanya was dressed accordingly. Upon arrival at the B&I Tavern, one of her favorite bars on the southeast side, mm-hmm. Tanya was unable to make up her mind on what she wanted to drink. So she settled on a beer and then a wine cooler and just went back and forth between the two as the evening went on. Which sounds like the absolute worst night of my life. Yeah, beer and wine cooler? Fuck. How are you ever going to get drunk? Yeah, well, she, she, sound like, she definitely sounds like she's not picking a side. It sounds like you're just going to throw up. Yeah. You're mixing beer and wine coolers. Like, either you want to be sober or you want to be drunk. Yeah. Yeah. Have have a shot in a beer. How's Man, that sound? there you go. Or a shot in a wine cooler. Shot in a wine cooler. Yeah, same thing. Or one of those. Replace um, one of them. One of those Long Island or some shit. Oh, that just combines all the booze? I'm just saying, though. Yeah. Where we at the bar. That shit. Those things are crazy. Where apparently you can just mix together every booze and, and then it tastes like iced tea and you, somehow. And you don't get sick. I don't know how that works. Yeah, and you don't get sick. It's magic. It is. And I don't even know why they call it Long Island iced tea. They should call it Coney Island iced tea. Because you get fucking twisted? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe you don't get twisted on Long Island. I mean, Coney Island, you'll get fucking stabbed, beaten. <laughs> you can have fun. <laughs> You can uh, shut a- down a major uh, computer company Ooh. in Mr. Robot. <laughs> hey, some hot dogs. Get some hot dogs. Ride that roller coaster that'll mm. probably kill you. <laughs> Tanya has been described by family and friends as mentally slow and slightly retarded. Damn. I don't know if I can say that, but. That's definitely. But <clears throat> at least less people know what you. This was 1990. And this, the, the, my source material I was writ, I'm from reading 19. from is from like 96. They would definitely still say retarded. I don't know what else to say, but she was not like, she, there was something wrong with her. She was mm-hmm. not mentally all there. Yeah, she right. had a low IQ. Okay. Mm-hmm. Before long, Tanya became visibly intoxicated. A tall, burly loudmouth had been sitting at the bar and watching her all night out of the corner of his eye, waiting for her to get drunk enough to put on the moves. He casually strolled over to her by the pool tables where Tanya had been watching the mm-hmm. players. He introduced himself and offered to buy her a drink. His name was Keith Hunter Jesperson, but mm. Tanya most likely only ever knew him as Keith or some other alias that he was known to go by. Whatever he called himself, it was indisputable that he was six foot six, two hundred and forty pounds, and he made quite the impression on the young woman. Just like a fucking linebacker. She was very trusting and easy to befriend. Yeah, she was uh slow. Slow. Yeah. <laughs> she was she had some um, learning disability. Yeah. Learning disabled. Yeah, that's pretty good. Learning disabled. Yeah. I knew there was a word for it. Yeah, you would have to be a the jerk. Yeah. I just couldn't. I've been like fishing around for it for days now trying to figure out how to not <laughs> say the like R you, word. It don't seem like you was fishing long enough. <laughs> At one point, Keith left the tavern without explaining where he was going. When he returned a little while later, he met Tanya outside and offered to buy her dinner. He checked his wallet and said, damn it, I don't even have enough to buy me dinner, let alone both of us. But it was no problem, he told Tanya. He had more money back at his place, Mm -hmm. and he invited her to accompany him to grab it. Did he know that she was, um... Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
How small is this town? Well, you said Portland, Oregon. Yeah, very big. So, big yeah. Town. Okay. That's where you can go get Jordans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Legally. Legally. You can go buy Jordans legally. <laughs> I mean, nobody's got inventory for shoes, man. Mm-mm. Especially not cold ones. No. Definitely not. Unless you're going to be paying out your ass. Mm-hmm. Like the Nike app is not even, it's not even worth opening anymore because they never have Jordans mm-hmm. on there. Mm-hmm. The motherfucker's going to be sold out. You can get like a Monarch. No. But I'm not 70. No. So. No. Pair is that what Monarchs are for? Are they like Nike's version of a New Balance? Mm-hmm. Are they like an orthopedic shoe? I don't know. I never had a pair, but I'm pretty sure they're easy to slip in, maybe. There's maybe. something about it that makes them got to be easy. Yeah. When it comes to Nikes, I only want King Jordan. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's definitely at the top of the list. It's about the Nike shit. Dude. Yeah. And for like a work shoe, yeah, maybe a pair maybe. of nice Nikes is okay too. Like a running shoes is fine. Yeah. yeah. I have Under Armors that I got off Amazon, and they kind of hurt my feet a little bit. Mm, mm. Not even after the break-in? Yeah. Well, maybe I haven't given them enough time. Mm-hmm. It's been about a week. So I'll give them a oh, little okay. longer. I'll give them like another two weeks, and then I'll buy a different pair. Mm-hmm. Definitely those shoes are like that, man. You got to get out of them and you can get right back in them. You have to. Your feet are still recovering from the day before. But then there's that one magic day where it's like, ah, I'm stepping into two pillows. I wonder what's Hunter wearing Nikes. Hunter? Our boy, Keith yeah. Hunter Jesperson? Mm-hmm. He wore boots. I don't know why I'm calling this guy Hunter. I know that's his name. Because it's a cool, like. Dude, I do like Hunter. Yeah. Like, for some reason. Like, but, Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Yeah. That's my boy. And uh, Sean Hunter from My Boy Meets World. Yeah. And the green, the green things from the first Resident Evil that had, like, the, they looked like frog things, kind of. They were called Hunters. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I definitely like the name Hunter. Shout out to any hunters out there, man. Shout out. Shout out, Hunter. Tanya agreed to go with him, since it was only right around the corner, and she followed him inside. Unaware that the whole time, this mission for money had only been a trick to separate Tanya from the bar and all the witnesses inside. Mm. Instead of grabbing cash, he talked her into having sex. As would become part of Jesperson's routine, the pent-up anger that had been boiling over inside him for so long made its way out. Even before getting fully dressed, he began taunting Tanya and escalated to making cruel remarks, calling her stupid, ugly, fat, gross. Soon they were in a full-blown argument, during which Jesperson began hitting her. Mm. When Tanya tried defending herself against this behemoth, Jesperson began beating her twice as hard in the face and head. He wrapped one of his massive mitts around her throat Mm. and with the other grabbed a rope pulling it tight around her neck and watching the life leave her eyes. After a small struggle, she gave up and fell limp to the floor. A rope. He's a ligature strangulist mm-hmm. as well. So, this seems like to me they're just not trying to leave evidence when they use objects, or that's just what they get off of. It's That's what that's it. It's what they get off of. It's like they have these ideas in their head that, that have been bouncing around. It's like an artist. When they have stuff bouncing around their head, they right. have to put it on a canvas. These assholes have had these, like, ideas of what they'd want to do for so long, and these are their, like, expressions of of these sick, weird, gross ideas mm. in their heads. Let me bring this rope. So some of them are rope. Some of them are... Our one fella made special ligatures out of bras where he cut yeah, the sides yep. and all that stuff. So no, I guess like, when damn, I, some like... weird bone pops in your head as a mm. kid... And then you just become obsessed with killing. Yeah, but my thing is, like, these are women. You're probably more than likely overpowering them. 
He's six six two yeah. forty. I'm just trying to get a benefit of the yeah. doubt. Yeah. More than likely. Yeah, I'm only six four, three hundred, but I could overpower most women. I'm sure of it. Mm-hmm. No problem. Bet mm-hmm. the house on it, Bet in fact. You're going to come across one. Oh, there's always yeah. an exception that proves yeah. the rule. You're going to come across one. There is some badass But women. I'm pretty sure you'll pick and choose that shit, too. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'm going to have a good manager. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I'm not going to take any fights where I'm going to get right. hurt. I'm assuming this is some kind of weird fight promotion where I'm now fighting a bunch of women. <laughs> It's cool. Jesperson didn't panic. He left Tanya's corpse in the rented house and mm-hmm. went back to the B&I Tavern to drink and socialize with anyone mm-hmm. who would listen, presumably to establish an alibi for himself. I guess motherfuckers be so drunk, like, I guess he was here. This dude was here the whole time. Yeah, so fucking drunk. After a few more brews, Jesperson went back to the house and loaded Tanya into the front seat of a friend's car. Knowing he had to dump the body, he drove east past Portland city limits, past the airport, mm-hmm. and all the way out towards the Columbia River Gorge. He stuck to the old highway, which was barely lit and much less traveled, full mm-hmm. of twisting turns and switchback hills. He found a dumping ground near Crown Point. Confident he was alone, Jesperson nonchalantly tossed Tanya's corpse over the embankment, down a switchback like an old couch into a sinkhole. Mm. Afterwards, Jesperson got back on the old highway, tossed Tanya's Walkman out the window, and drove to a truck stop to drink coffee and read the paper for the remainder of the night. This was another attempt to build an alibi, just mm-hmm. in case one was needed. I wonder how late was it at this point. Uh, 3 a.m., 2, 3 a.m. So he just sat in the truck stop for three, four hours until the sun came up and then <laughs> To me, off. that's suspicious, man. I guess maybe not for truckers, though. They might just be like, I need to get off the road and out of my truck for yeah, a little bit. Yeah, but he bit. wasn't a trucker. He was a trucker. Oh, my bad. We'll get there. I thought, of, oh, okay, okay, okay. But this is done in a car. You're yeah, right. exactly. You're absolutely right. Yeah. But he is but he is a trucker. Truck. Okay. All right, cool, cool, cool. Those truckers, man. They're killers. They're lonely killers. <laughs> killers. Well, I'm, you know, I'm pretty sure that the truck company make them do that. And all these people, boneheaded drivers out here. Cutting off semis. Yeah. I, I see it every day, too, and I don't know how they don't just, like, pull out a gun. Oh, uh, that's the straggling. Yeah. <laughs> that's, oh. the, that's the pent-up aggression. That's where they get it from. Okay. That makes total sense now. Yeah. So as a truck, so let's show a little leniency for killer truck drivers. No leniency. No leniency. I don't but even know what I was talking about. Let's just get, let's not cut them off. Yeah. Don't let's cut help, trucks Let's off. help them. I'm yeah. not saying it's our job to help them, but let's, like... Be good on the roads. Because if you help them, you help you. Yes, in the long run. You mm-hmm. help you, you help your whole family yeah. that don't want to see you strangled. Or just crushed by a semi because they can't true. stop yeah. if they got to stop. And they won't even feel it as they, oh, yeah, as they turn you into a, a piece of sheet metal. Yeah, and they got certain assurances to where all these, they can crush, crush you, kill you, and they can walk away scot-free. Get back to work. I don't know about getting back to work. Get back but, to work. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe now. In the pandemic? Maybe. But I don't think once that happens, I think ain't no truck driving really fucking with you, at least for a few years. Yeah, maybe you got to let that run off your record. Yeah. I mean, your career's probably done after that. A decent human being would probably be like, no, nah, I'm done. Yeah, but I mean, you got to earn. You do got to earn. I say the same thing about police, though. Like, a decent human being, after all this shit, would have said, nah, I'm done. Yeah, but you got to earn. But you got to earn. Because I just was shit I've been knowing all my whole life. You gotta stand on that line. You gotta fight on that line. <laughs> 
Just after dawn and high on caffeine, Jesperson left the truck stop and drove up the old highway, flinging the contents of Tanya's purse, including her ID and the purse itself, into a bushy area near the river. Mm -hmm. Days later, a hiker found Tanya's body where it had landed in a ditch after tumbling down the steep embankment. Mm -hmm. Horrified by the broken, bloody body, the hiker called police. Mm -hmm. Photos were taken, the scene was processed, and the body was taken to the morgue, where it was initially identified only as a Jane Doe. Mm. Tanya's death only made the local paper at first. The article that was published consisted of three or four paragraphs outlining the discovery of her body and snippets of statements from police officers, such as she was half-dressed, beaten and strangled to death, one of her teeth had punctured through her lower lip, and she had a rope still around her neck. It didn't take too long for her to be positively ID'd, there were no suspects, and Keith Jesperson was free to move about the cabin. <laughs> 57-year-old Laverne Pavlinak would read about the murder in depth and decide to use the case to end her 10-year abusive relationship with her boyfriend, John Sosnovsky. That's good. She made fake anonymous tips to the police that Sosnovsky had raped Tanya and forced her to help him. <sighs> police wanted to close the case, so they looked into it. Obviously, Sosnovsky denied his girlfriend's claim because he didn't do it. Yeah, that's bogus. Detectives took Laverne Pavlinak to the Columbia River Gorge to see if she could point out locations only the police and killer would know. She actually positively identified where the body was found just off of reading the paper, but misidentified where Tanya's personal belongings had been found. Eventually, <laughs> prosecutors took over, and the couple were arrested in February 1990. Mm. Both now heavily proclaimed their innocence. Well, Whoa, so she wait. was sentenced to life in prison with a minimum of 10 years. Sosnovsky was sure he was going to get the death penalty given the results of his girlfriend's case. Bro, so you mean to tell me she tried to blame her dude on this shit and they both end up getting the case? She fought on the line. What the? <laughs> dude, that's some bullshit. That'll make you don't even want to help nobody anymore. Guess what? She said that he coerced her into making her help him rape the girl. Oh, they are crystal meth or something? Nope. She's just a crazy 57-year-old true crime obsessed oh lady. Oh, my God. <sighs> In March of 1991, Sosnovsky was sentenced to life in prison, no parole. It wasn't until 95 when Keith Jesperson confessed to killing Tanya that the two were finally released. Pavlinak would die not too much later, in mm. 2003. That's so funny. I wonder how much the compensation was for that. I think nothing, probably. Probably the minimum. They don't pay you too well for, for even if you're innocent. Mm -hmm. You gotta sue them. Okay, yeah, you got to sue the motherfuckers. You got to. No, that's wrong, man. But she's she's dumb. She's an asshole, yeah. but she's also was abused. But hey, no, no she she's was. An idiot. She made false reports to the police and yes. lied straight up to the police. Yes. She is a villain. She could have easily just said the dude was been abusing me. Why well, didn't you just say that? Because they wouldn't have done shit. You know how it is. Domestics. No, you're right. The police, they show up every other day. And it's always the same police. And they're like, John, Martha, stop fucking hitting each other. And then eventually, John strangles Martha. Mm-hmm. Because and, she And hit. the police says, I never would have seen this coming. <laughs> yeah, you right. were there every day yeah. breaking it up. I don't know how you wouldn't. And then sometimes a woman just can't leave because no, she's... Yeah. Don't Broken. have any... Yeah, don't have any money, no job. That's what we call 
a manipulative, abusive relationship right there. Yeah, because honestly, that's why I think women should have jobs and don't have men taking care of them. Yeah, that 1950 shit is yeah. no good. You but if you do, but as a but woman. as a man, if you no, I don't want you to work. Woo woo! It did somehow. Y'all get divorced. Yeah, you owe her some money. Yeah, that's alimony there because yeah. you you gave her a lifestyle. Yeah. By saying, I don't want you out there in the workforce. So just make sure that you tell your women to work. No, you go work. There's a lot of dudes that think that they shouldn't have to pay alimony after they made their wives like quit their jobs. No, if you making them quit their jobs, yeah, you, you owe them some bread. Hell yeah. For a bunch of years, too. Yeah. Dude, somebody make me a house husband for God's sake. Oh, no, my kidding. goodness. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You know you want to be a house cat. Kylie, get rich. <laughs> Man, be, bust that Don soap out and shit. <laughs> oh. Man, I would clean the dude, place from top uh, to bottom. Dude, because, dude, what else is there to do? Yeah. Watch your soaps. Oh. Mr. Mom. You ever seen that movie? Hell Mr. yeah. Mom? Hell yeah. <laughs> Did a girl was coming on, so I thought that shit was funny. Mr. Mom. With, uh, Watch Three Men and a Baby. Mm, three, I like Three Men and a Baby. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Me but too. That'll be you. I like Multiplicity, too. Mm, multiplicity. I don't think, uh, who was in that one? Mike Keaton. He makes, like, clones of himself. Mm, that was another Michael Keaton joint. Yeah. And like one of them's super mean, one of them's super nice, one of them's IQ of like 60. Mm-hmm. Because that was the one I was talking Mr. Mom with uh, Michael Mike Keaton. Keaton yeah. yeah, I love Mike Keaton. Funny dude. And, and he, he had he a... He wanted to be. He had a Keaton... Keaton... Keaton Renaissance the, uh, a few years ago, too. Yeah, he did come back. A resurgence. Yeah. Birdman. Yeah. Uh, uh, the Spider-Man joint, Spider-Man, right? McDonald's joint. McDonald's? He made that Ray Kroc movie where he was oh, the okay, okay. guy that made McDonald's. I didn't see the McDonald's movie, but I keep hearing good things. Yeah, it shows that he's, a, shitty he's a real asshole. Yeah. <laughs> he's a real son of a bitch. <laughs> good shit. Meanwhile, while Pavlinak and Sosnowski were dealing with their own legal troubles, mm-hmm. Keith Jesperson was running around hunting for new victims. He was born in British Columbia. Jesperson's primary ambition in life was to become a member of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. He was accepted into the RCMP program and felt he was well on his way to fulfilling his lifelong dream. Then, he sustained a fall from a rope climbing exercise that severely injured him. His hopes were dashed. Unable to complete the training meant he was permanently dismissed from the RCMP. They said, you can't continue, brother. Can't even reapply. Damn, he couldn't even reapply? Permanent dismissal. Because he failed? Yeah, he couldn't complete the the training. Yeah, but permanently? Like, you can't wait a year to make your shit get better, come back? It's like if you wash out from, like, SEALs training. You can't even reapply for that shit, either? I don't think so. Or the Coast Guard. One of the Navy things. That's bullshit. I don't know. But this is... This is bullshit. Yeah, Yeah, maybe not the SEAL training, because I guess that's more dealing with... It's it's a probably a mental thing with that too. I would say, yeah, I would say that's uh, uh like a hundred percent mental because you got to be a cool yeah. operator. Yeah. You got to be, you got to not give a fuck that there's AK forty seven ammo flying yeah. all over your head. Because I guess they say if you ain't go get it now, <laughs> you yeah. ain't gonna have it. You you're not gonna get it. You don't got what it's made yeah, of, and that's cool. Yeah, that you don't got it. You're not that. Yeah. That's all right. But but just because you fell out of sail training don't mean you still can't be in the Army. Though. That's what I'm saying. The Navy. Yeah. They, or I'm pretty sure they'll service. just recycle, like, put you somewhere else. Yeah. yeah. Which is good, too. You'll mm-hmm. still be able to stay in the service, but you can't be a SEAL. Mm-hmm. You just don't got it, son. Yeah, you, you do got to have it, though. You got to have it. You got to almost be a murderer psychopath, I think. Because you got to do some hard shit. Yeah. 
Jesperson felt cheated, and he vowed to get even with a society he thought had robbed him and mm-hmm. kept him from fulfilling his goals and dreams. There's he, no reason to do what you need. <laughs> yeah. No. Don't all of us get kind of robbed? <laughs> Some uh, shit. Quite a bit. <laughs> Keith and his shitty family moved to a trailer park in Washington State. He had no marketable skills, so to speak, but mm-hmm. found he really enjoyed long-haul trucking. Jesperson got hired on by a trucking company out of Spokane, and soon found himself zigzagging the country. Hell yeah, free to move about the cabin, like you said. You were now free to smoke yeah. about the cabin. Man, cabin. You could, rape in every state. Yeah. We get a rape strangle in every state. Yeah. This one does remind me of the, the Relapse album. I'm dancing might no, that's not the that's that's a yeah, that was a relapse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the three AM. Yeah. After murdering Tanya, there was no turning back. He was addicted to killing. It appears he was able to fight the urge for a full year and a half before he finally had to murder yeah, again. Sobriety. <laughs> he broke his sobriety yeah. of killing. He yeah. was on the wagon for a full year and a half. Damn. That damn murderers. They're so addictive. That's damn murderers. Like, apparently, uh, apparently, murders are just so. Once addictive. you pop, you can't stop, man. <laughs> Pringles and shit. <laughs> After this one, they would come in more rapid succession. Mm. His next victim was a still unidentified woman in early August 1992. Her body was found at the end of August, about 10 miles from Blythe, California. Jesperson would tell authorities when he was captured that she told him her name was Claudia. The next month, the body of Cynthia Lynn Rose was found along U.S. Highway 99 near Turlock, California. She'd been dead for some time. An original cause of death was listed as overdose. Mm. However, it was at this time that Jesperson began writing letters to the media, specifically a columnist for the Oregonian newspaper in Portland, claiming responsibility for Rose's murder as well as others. Yeah, like he claiming bombs and shit. He signed his letters with a happy face, and so the papers mm. dubbed him the Happy Face Killer in lieu of any other name. The letters would be turned over to the police as they came in, mm-hmm. but there was nothing on them for the cops to go on in regard to IDing the killer. How long do you think these um, <laughs> newspapers are keeping evidence before they actually turn it over? Probably as long as they can, right? That's not cool, too. So you can have the scoop on it? Yeah. Journalistic and, and, integrity, and, 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 bro. And, and they don't even get, it seems like they don't get in trouble for it. No, for the most part, no. Only when they actually, like, break the law to obtain information. Mm-hmm. Or, like, I guess once the shit. police come to them, then that's they give it up. But they don't willingly, like, yeah, oh, yeah, we got that. They want the scoop. So that way the 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 people can say, they get how, that come clout. The, how come the press knows about shit mm-hmm. more than the police does? And that's why they don't like the press. And you can force the police to be better that way. And that's why they don't like press. Because mm-hmm. they don't want to be better. They also don't want to wear body cameras, even though they're cheap as fuck. Damn, how cheap are they, Adam? I mean, 900 a piece, but the department... <laughs> I mean, they're right. They're not paying for it. That's nothing the, to a police department. I've right, seen them buy the tanks recently. Damn, the city's paying for that shit. Yeah. So it's... And you'll get so much more out of it. That's a right, good though. investment. As a taxpayer, am I paying $900 for cameras? I'll tell you what, Herschel. You better wear those goddamn tax those fucking uh, cameras, bro. I'll tell you what, Herschel. Why, when things go wrong, why do we start with everybody but police? Like, we need to watch the kids more. We need to watch black people more. We mm-hmm. need to watch whatever more. Why don't we start with the police? Mm-hmm. Why don't we make sure that we can see 
what, what they, they see. Doing. Yeah. Because yeah. they do it everywhere else. Heard Amazon is putting mad cameras on their goddamn tr- uh, drivers. Makes sense. Vehicles so they could do, you know, better in the field. Or well, so they can control them accurate. more. Yeah. But I, I think police need some control. I don't. Yeah, 100%. But they also don't want to be watched because who can do their job well when they're constantly being That's watched? That's true, too. Nobody. Nobody. But it's a rock and a hard place. That's all I'm saying. Just defund all police. Get rid of them all. I'll be the police now. I'll be Judge Dredd. <laughs> I'm, I'm Dredd now. <laughs> Look at me. I'm the judge now. I'm like, God damn it. The next victim was Lori Ann Pentland, age 26. Lori's body was found November 1992 behind a G.I. Joe's sporting goods and automotive store in Salem, Oregon. I had to look it up. G.I. Joe's was a regional chain of stores in the Pacific Northwest that changed their name to Joe's and got sued and finally shut down forever in 2009. What did they sell? Sporting goods stuff and car parts. Which is a good dump because they would investigate around that first. Solid, yeah. But G.I. Joe's, when I first saw it, I thought it was like a whole store full of G.I. Joe's. I got excited. <laughs> like a Lego store or something. Joe's to the rescue. <laughs> Remember when Sergeant Slaughter was a G.I. Joe? Uh, some bits just don't get over. Hmm. Detectives determined that Lori had been strangled, but had no other leads as to who the killer might be. In July 1993, another Jane Doe was found west of Santa Nella, California, mm-hmm. on a state highway near a truck way station. Mm-hmm. So that's two Californias. Yep. Three Californias. No. Oh. Three Californias and a Washington so far. Mm. I imagine the rest of them would be in. We'll find out. Mm. Probably. I'm, I'm going California. Let's just say. Something in my mind. He's a truck driver, okay? I mean, yeah, but. The woman had dead bed bed bed. <laughs> the woman had been dead only a couple of days when her body was found, mm-hmm. and the county coroner listed her death as drug overdose. Mm-hmm. Eventually, her case would be reopened and looked at as a homicide. After the happy face killer wrote another letter and referred to her as the street person, what would finally be pieced together as Jesperson's sixth victim was found more than a year later on September fourteenth, nineteen ninety four, west of Crestview, Florida. along Interstate 10 by a road crew. The remains were mostly bones of a woman that investigators believe had been around 40 years old at her time of death. Mm -hmm. The next year, a detective would begin focusing on Jesperson as a possible suspect, but only after Jesperson had been apprehended. He would claim that this victim's name was simply Suzanne. You said they apprehended him. How? Later. That comes later. All right, my bad. I'll talk later about this, dude. Once we... He'll... Everything will start clicking yeah, in place will. real soon, baby. It will. I'm, I'm setting up these he, bop, 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 bop. Nickelodeon. Mm-hmm. Victim number seven, 21-year-old Angela Subrise of Oklahoma City, wouldn't be found all the way until September 95. Until then, very few people even knew Angela was missing due to her nomad, wandering lifestyle. Jesperson got sloppy with victim number eight, Breaking the cardinal rule of successful serial killers, he killed someone he knew. Mm-hmm. Julie Ann Winningham, 41, of Camus, Washington, was murdered the night of March 10th, 1995, just a few miles east of her home. Mm-hmm. Like the others, she had been strangled and her naked body had been dumped over an embankment along a highway, this time Highway 14. Unlike the seven others, 
Julie's friends and relatives knew she'd been dating Jesperson mm. on and off and gave his name to police. This was the break they were looking for. That motherfucker for. probably looked weird. Jesperson? Yeah. Six foot six? Yeah, he was, he's the guy. He has to be the guy. A little bit handsome in a weird way. But this is the guy. This is the dude. And, she, and that's why she was like, yo, <laughs> if it's going to be anybody strangling and shit, anybody, it's him. Six fucking six, 240. And who else could get it? Because it's all about trust, too. And it's a new relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't. You barely know the motherfucker. He man, strangled her man, ass. He's, man, dude, the strangles, dude. And, and are these just by rope, too? With all of them by rope? Or by just... rope or by hand. Mostly rope. Okay. Nylon See, rope. He likes nylon rope. What a freak. What a freak. Nylon fucking rope. I never even touched the stuff. I've never even seen it. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what soft denim is. Soft denim? Yeah. Well, I have some pants, some Levi pants. The that soft are, denim? Yeah, and they're really stretchy, which is nice. You can like bend down without blowing out your... That really sounds like more like athletic. Yeah, maybe that's what that's called. I that don't know. I bought four pairs material. of them, but it was great. And they look Actually, like real I'm, pants. I'm not going front. The, the, the stretchier jeans, yeah. That's legitimate. Yeah. You can do a full bend. You can. You can do a full crouch without your nuts mm, feeling yeah. like they're going to fall off. Well, or fall out after your, your pants. <laughs> Rick. I wonder how many times. Do you know how many times my nuts fell out from jeans? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember one time I had to go home. I'm like, yo, I <laughs> from work, I like, bit over shh. I always did it when I was like punting something that's sad because you do bring it on yourself now. yeah and i punt stuff all the time <laughs> Damn. or i do a quick a quick uh drop to the floor to check out a scratch or something mm-hmm. and there it goes there goes my undercarriage man just hanging like a bull's balls yeah yeah like a big pig's nuts <laughs> a super cop is now assigned to the case Season Clark County Sheriff's Department Detective Rick Buckner. Oh, Rick Buckner. Yeah, that sounds like a, a police officer in a TV show. Rick Buckner. Yeah. Buckner. Detective Buckner, give me your badge and gun. Or uh, the one that let the ball go under his legs. Bill? Bill Buckner. Yeah. yeah. He let this case go right under his legs. Right through him. Uh, I wonder if they're related. They might be. They're brothers. <laughs> it turns out they're brothers. <laughs> Detective Buckner initially learned that Winningham was a local who had moved to Utah for a while after breaking mm. up with her abusive husband. According to those he interviewed, she returned to Camus in February 95 with a new boo named Keith Jesperson, who she referred to as her fiance. Winningham apparently mm. met Jesperson at a truck stop somewhere in Utah and hitched a ride with him back to Washington. Several of her friends referred to him as a big guy, a giant, and a baby Huey. Mm. Buckner also uncovered that Jesperson had no criminal record in the state of Washington. He learned that Keith had married a woman named Rose in 1986, and the couple had three children. The only court records that showed up in Washington were from Yakima County that showed that he and Rose had divorced in 1990. So, four-year marriage, three kids, and then a divorce. Damn, four years, man. I mean, they didn't really love each other. Just enough to pop out three kids. Yeah, it was just sex. It was a sexual relationship. Sex, kid, sex, kid, sex, kid divorce. Man, that's sad, man. It didn't take very long for Detective Buckner to learn about the Cheney Trucking Company, which Mm -hmm. was Jesperson's employer. Mm -hmm. The bosses told Buckner that Jesperson was assigned to travel all across the country 
and in the days immediately following Winningham's death, he was on the road to Pennsylvania. Mm. Cheney Trucking Company officials provided Buckner with Jesperson's return travel itinerary back to the West Coast, a route that would take him through Texas, New Mexico, and finally Arizona. Mm. On Wednesday, March 22nd, 1995, Buckner traced Jesperson to Las Cruces, New Mexico, a city near the Mexican border. He contacted Las Cruces Sheriff's Department, and him and another detective detained Jesperson for more than six hours and questioned him about the murder of Winningham. Mm. Buckner and the other detective turned up the heat, but Jesperson wouldn't talk. He would later say that they kept asking him if he wanted to talk about it or if he desired an attorney during the questioning, and when Jesperson said he did want an attorney, detectives asked him why would he need one? <laughs> did you do something that required a lawyer? And since he wouldn't talk, then they didn't have shit. Detectives had no choice but to release him. Mm. Afterwards, Jesperson made haste for Arizona, and Buckner flew back to Washington. After denying him his lawyer. Yep. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, why would you need a lawyer? Did you do something wrong? Like, well, this... Like, this is going in circles, yeah. sir. <laughs> this is the 90s now. Like, they, we do this. You can just get a lawyer just because you get one. Because you feel like I'm doing something and I got to defend one. Just like they locked the other two up just for, well... She did fabricate some shit. Yeah. (laughs) That sounded like the truth. What an idiot. And she got the other dude wrapped up into it. And I'm like, look, if you you say you did, you you did this shit. Like, I do beat her. I beat her ass, but I did not murder that woman. Mm -mm. Well, in Arizona, Jesperson made two attempts at suicide. Two attempts, I should say. Yeah. The first on March 22nd and the second... The following night. Yeah, the first one was just him going to Arizona. That's committing suicide. Yes. <laughs> it's like, I'm going yeah. to bake yeah. in the that's, sun. Yeah, that's committing suicide. <laughs> Each, both times, he tried overdosing on over-the-counter sleeping pills, but each time he just... Woke I guess up. ended up sleeping really Yeah, good. he woke up. <laughs> like, yeah. What a fucking idiot. <laughs> On March 24th, after deciding that the cops would certainly nail him for Julie Winningham's murder, mm-hmm. uh, he figured he would have a better shot at leniency if he turned himself in. Mm. So he wrote two letters, one to his children and the other to his brother. Mm. This is an excerpt from his brother's letter. Seems like my luck has run out. I will never be able to enjoy my life on the outside again. I got into a bad situation and got caught up with emotion. I killed a woman in my Mm -hmm. truck during an argument. With all the evidence against me, it looks like I truly am a black sheep. The court will appoint me a lawyer and there will be a trial. I am sure they will kill me for this. I'm sorry that I turned out this way. I have been a killer for five years and have killed eight people. Mm. Assaulted many more. I guess I haven't learned a thing. Nope. Dad always was worried about me because of what I have gone through in the divorce, my finances. I have been taking it out on different people. As I saw it, I was hoping they would catch me. I took 48 sleeping pills last night, and I woke up (laughs) well-rested. The night before, I took two bottles of pills and still woke up (laughs) well-rested. They will arrest me today. The very same evening, he dropped his letters in the mail. Jesperson called Buckner from Arizona and Mm -hmm. confessed to the murder of Winningham. Because he knew the punishment would either be life in prison or death. Either way, he said, at least he would never be able to hurt another woman again. Yeah. He's really trying that sympathy thing to avoid the the death chair. Yeah. Like he's saying, at least no matter what you do to me, at least I'll be off the streets. I won't be able to hurt anybody again. No, we need to go ahead and 
Let's put a let's yeah. let's, uh, let's 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 put a little poison in his veins and let him go to yeah. sleep. That's saying how he want to sleep. He loves sleeping so much. Yeah, two bottles. God damn. That's a lot. That's like ninety six sleeping pills. Dude, if I take a sleeping pill, I wake up in a laundry basket. Well, I don't see. I will only take a half. Mm. So that's bitchified for mm. me. Zequil is great if you really need to get. Some, if you like know in advance, like I need to be asleep at mm-hmm. nine. Mm-hmm. So you take Zequil at eight, and then you'll by be, nine you're like, blah, 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 and then you just go to bed and you sleep all the way until your alarm goes off. Mm-hmm. What about the? Uh, so that's over the counter. What yeah. about the under the counter? Oh, the that stuff. That's where you wake up in a laundry basket for real. Ambien, that kind of stuff. Look, I'm not saying that I did Ambien. But if everyone's I, tried it, dude. Ambien. I see why Michael Jackson wanted to sleep. Yeah, it's so nice. You're just dead. That Ambien boy. Whoo! I'm not. I never did it. I'm just, I'm just saying. Yeah, <laughs> get some good sleep. That I've seen it. Yeah, allegedly, man. I heard. That <laughs> I've allegedly a, heard and seen yeah, it. Yeah, heard and seen it and felt it. <laughs> and felt it. Allegedly. <laughs> I've allegedly never felt better than when I woke up. (laughs) A week later, Buckner was cleared to fly to Arizona and take Jesperson into his custody and return to Washington State, where Mm -hmm. Jesperson could formally be be charged with Winningham's murder. Mm -hmm. Jesperson's first phone call from Washington jail was to his brother, telling him to burn the fucking letter right now. However, on the advice of a lawyer and Jesperson's dad, his brother had already turned over the letter to police because he felt it was unlawful to I hold mean, back or destroy evidence. Not a very good brother, if you ask well, me. Well, I appreciate. I love my bro- I love my brothers, bro. But if I feel like you raping and killing, no, bro, I can't let you do that. You know what? Uh, kids, I can't let you do that. Yeah, kid. That's out. No. I think anybody. I'm I s- think if I found out anybody was a serial... I hate to say it, I'm ratting you out. I might have to. Kids and shit? Yeah. No, bro. Maybe I could get you to pass, but bro, I can't. Not for long. No. Like, you gonna have to... Like, I don't want to talk to you anymore, for sure. I mean, we got to do something about this. Yeah. But if, if you already confessed to it, sending me this letter, then... Bro, you gotta, you know... You got another thing coming. Like, dude, you strangling women, and especially the first one, man. Like, that was so just taking advantage. Yeah. yeah, and you praying on a week, and it totally makes sense. Once we get a little further, and it totally makes sense why he picked her as victim number one. It, mm. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Shortly after the letter was turned over to the police, it mm. was leaked to a number of newspapers. Mm. Meanwhile, Buckner began blasting information about Jesperson to law enforcement all across the nation. He provided info about Jesperson's confession and the letter and asked if there were any jurisdictions that had unsolved homicides that Mm. might fit into Jesperson's long hauls across the country. Within a few days, Buckner's office received 16 responses from law enforcement as far away as New York and Florida. A lot of unsolved homicides were being reopened to look for similarities all across the country. Focusing on female homicide victims found along major highways and near truck stops, authorities in Oregon, Nevada, and Utah were among the first to begin re-examining their open mm-hmm. cases. I'm going to be quiet, but the FBI gets involved in this, too. Yeah, the Fedskis yeah. get called in, but yeah. they're not really a huge... I, don't I really mean, when it's coming from them. different states like that, mm-hmm. yeah, you would have to think that... 
Because they, because obviously the police force is probably not. This is like what the FBI is made for. Yeah. You know? Well, not anymore. Not unless their name's Muhammad. Yeah. That's a joke from The Wire, too. Yep. They said that in The Wire. They don't do that domestic shit like that. We don't care about gangbangers no more, brother. I don't know why I made that guy sound Mexican. (laughs) The super white uh, FBI guy that he's always hanging out with. You definitely do sound like the, the one from King of the Hill. Of particular interest to investigators in Oregon was an unsolved case involving a woman who disappeared from the vicinity of a truck stop in the Wilsonville area in the northern part of the state in August 1994, and whose body was eventually found along a highway near Medford in southern Oregon in March 95, shortly after Jesperson's arrest. Mm -hmm. Authorities in Utah and the Great Basin area of northeastern Nevada also re-examined several unsolved homicides involving Mm. women to see Mm -hmm. if Jesperson somehow fit into the scheme of things. Although their gut instinct told them that Jesperson was probably their killer in a number of these cases they Mm -hmm. re-examined, they lacked sufficient evidence to bring any charges against Mm -hmm. him. Buckner spent a good deal of time interviewing Jesperson and learned lots of interesting tidbits about his childhood, Mm -hmm. such as when... Keith Jesperson was six, he had gotten his first taste of killing by bashing gophers in the head. (laughs) While living with his parents in the trailer park in Washington, Keith started dragging stray dogs and cats into a field near the trailer park and beat them to death with a shovel or strangle them to death. He learned he enjoyed it, savoring the look in the eyes and the almost tactile feeling of life leaving the animals. He said it was in his early childhood that his aggression towards animals began. He explained that his father had once spotted him throwing a cat against the pavement and finishing it off by strangling it. Expecting punishment when he turned around and saw his father watching, he was surprised to see a look of pride on his dad's face. He would brag to others about how little Keith had gotten rid of the strays around their trailer park. (laughs) Yeah, them strays ain't coming around no more. But this, it makes sense now, doesn't it, why he picked Tanya as his first victim. Like, that is the escalation. Gopher to larger, more intelligent animals, Mm -hmm. to a disabled human. Mm -hmm. You're starting it off, yeah. You're just going up the the chain. Yep, you're just going up the fucking chain. While Jesperson sat in county jail for the murder of Julie Winningham, he began talking to his attorney, Thomas Phelan, about other crimes he'd committed. This came up when Phelan asked about the letter. Right, the letter was already there. Just fine with about all the murders that he did. Mm-hmm. Yep. He had basically already... Yeah, uh, you might as well tell your lawyer so he could fucking defend you. Jesperson began divulging his innermost secrets to the attorney mm-hmm. when he realized that he would be labeled a serial killer after the police linked him to additional killings. Mm-hmm. One of the cases he told Phelan about was the murder of 21-year-old Angela Subrise. Mm-hmm. Phelan was disgusted, but still, under attorney-client yeah. privilege, he said... Keep your fucking trap shut outside of these privileged conversations. But of course, Jesperson didn't. He began bragging about the murder to other inmates who, in turn, snitched him out to authorities for years off their sentence. Hell yeah. According to Jesperson's account, he picked Angela up near Spokane, Washington in January 95 and agreed to give her a ride to Fort Collins, Colorado to see her dad. At one point along the way, they stopped so she could call her father and let him know she was on the way. Apparently, he didn't want to see her and told her, do not come. Afterwards, Angela asked Jesperson to take her to Indiana instead to visit a friend. Mm. Jesperson explained that he became enraged when Angela wouldn't let him sleep at a truck stop just east of Cheyenne, Wyoming. 
She kept nagging him to keep driving through terrible weather, and he ended up strangling her with his bare hands. Then he went back to sleep. I told you. The truck drivers, that's some truck driver shit. They don't like doing that shit. About three hours later, he woke up and drove into Nebraska, where he pulled off into a rest area. He pulled her body down out of the cab, wrapped it in black nylon rope, and tied her face down beneath his truck. He dragged her like this along the pavement for about 12 miles until the ropes became loose. He untied what was left of her and threw it in a ditch about 75 feet off I-80, 300 miles from where he'd taken her life. Sergeant Terry Bolig of Laramie County, Wyoming Sheriff's Department got the assignment since it was believed Angela had been killed in Wyoming. Mm. Bolig learned that Angela was a nomad and as such had not been reported missing by family members. Detective Bolig, however, eventually located her father by examining phone calls charged to a credit card that belonged to Jesperson's brother. Mm. So he was able to get right to the bottom of it. How did he get his bro credit card? He had it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, hey, he's still his brother. You it know? is. Probably That's hooked the... him up. Never really got in trouble for that. Mm-hmm. Surprised they tried to lock his brother up. No kidding. I bet they tried. I mean, that's probably why his ass gave him that letter. Like, yo, this motherfucker got my credit card. Mm-hmm. Hey. Mm-hmm. I'm not on his side. Yeah. I got this fucking letter. You're not going to get me locked up. Jesperson told investigators a significant detail that would prove that he killed Angela and dumped her in that location. Mm -hmm. She had a Tweety Bird flipping the bird tattoo on her ankle. In -hmm. September of 95, Nebraska Highway Patrolman found Angela's remains lying on the shoulder of I-80 near Gothenburg, where it had been lying in the tall grass for several months. Damn. Most of her skin had decayed, and investigators were able to identify her only after examining pelvic x-rays and finding the tattoo that was still visible on her ankle. Mm-hmm. It was one of the only marks that remained on her body. Mm, That's it wasn't lucky. decayed. Mm-hmm. You need to go to that tattoo artist. No kidding. He pounded that shit in there. Yeah. Wyoming investigators continued systematically building their case against Jesperson, one they hoped would be sufficient for the death penalty and finally charged him with Angela's murder. Wyoming Mm. prosecutors quickly rejected an officer by defense attorney Phelan to provide information on other murders in exchange for taking the death penalty off the table. They wanted to kill him. Mm -hmm. You go go get to us. Oh, yeah. The the prosecutor said, Mm. no, thank you, Mr. Phelan. We, we We will kindly immediately reject that idea. Yeah, we'll just do the research and detect the work and get you on the rest of these. I'm sure this dickhead will be bragging about him to his prison buddies anyway, and then they'll turn him over to for time off their sentences. Hell yeah. Why not? He's an idiot anyway. He's real dumb. Meanwhile, in Washington, California, and Oregon... Investigators were hard at work analyzing and compiling Jesperson's handwriting. Right. Because of his bragging to other prisoners and the letter to his brother, the investigators wanted to see if Jesperson was the same person who had written letters to the reporter at The Oregonian, who in turn had named him the Happy Face Killer. Right. Using info from the letter he wrote to his brother, claiming to have killed eight women over a five-year period, police saw similarities, not only in the handwriting, but the crimes themselves. Mm -hmm. Regarding one of the California victims, the happy face killer had written to police that he used duct tape to bind her hands and feet. Duct tape was found right near the body. That was a fact that only the police and the killer would know. It was never released to the public. Yet another similarity in the letter writing between Jesperson and the happy face killer 
appeared when Jesperson wrote a letter to the Columbian newspaper in Vancouver, Washington, and had it smuggled out of jail. In that letter, he again alluded to a desire to be caught so that he would not kill again. It stated, I know what I've done has been wrong, and I feel sorry for the families of my victims. I am, in fact, the happy-faced killer. I created that man because I wanted to be stopped. But it is hard to just come out and say it. I have prayed many nights in this cold, dark prison cell for the answer, and God has told me to come clear with it all, tell the truth about everything. I will not be happy until I'm replacing that man, which was Sosnovsky, mm. in the Oregon State Penitentiary for the crime I did, and he goes free. Most people will say that I am a monster. I am not a monster, just like the movie Jurassic Park. I was created by people. He quoted... He... He brought up Jurassic Park in this letter. <laughs> I mean, I suppose 93, two years ago, oh, biggest yeah. movie ever made. Yeah. I guess it makes sense. Yeah, I'm surprised he ain't trying to add in uh, the Taco Bell. I cover. was created by B.D. Wong yeah. in, a, in a laboratory. In a lab. Hey, but I wonder, did, uh, did this have something to do with the Taco Bell killer? Seeing how he went all over the states, like that they some of the dead shit that was going mm. in their state, like let's open it mm. up kind of mm. deal. Mm. You but it still wasn't his MO though. Have you ever heard of the Green River Killer? No. They opened up a few of uh, murders that they attributed to him up in Washington. Oh, okay. And it turns out that some of them, there's a good chance, were actually Jesperson victims that were attributed to the Green River Killer, but they didn't have the money. To uh, I mean, I to, guess they already keep it going. They already got them. I guess they got both of them already. So, yeah. but this kind of sucks because you kind of want closure. You want closure, as a victim. Yeah. yes, because we can all see ourselves as victims. It's the most, it, 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 it's the most empathic thing. We, it's the only thing I can see myself as they in just, these stories because they're giving them halfway. Like, well, it could be this one, or yeah. it could be this one. Give me some closure. Yeah. Like, just care enough to find out who killed it me. It did in the back of your mind. You're like, well, is my killer really locked up? Yeah. The killer that we look at, though? Yeah. Oh, it's a bad deal. Yeah. It's a bad rub. <laughs> the comment about Sosnovsky shocked investigators. According to Jesperson, they didn't believe him at first and insisted that they had, be they had the right people in jail for Tanya's murder. It wasn't until he told them that he could lead them to the location of Tanya's purse, an Oregon ID, something that Laverne Pavlinik had mm -hmm. been unable to do, that they began to show interest. Yep. In writing the letter to the Columbian, Jesperson realized that he would need the help of public opinion if he were going to be able to convince the authorities that he mm -hmm. killed Tanya. The press appeared more than eager to help out, as reporters from a number of newspapers contacted Jesperson about the claims he was making. He told them that Laverne Pavlinak and John Sosnovsky were innocent and had been sent to prison for a crime that, in fact, he had committed. Mm. His clear motivation for confessing was not so much a desire to come clean and be washed of his sins, but self-preservation. Jesperson knew that if he was extradited to Wyoming, he would face the death penalty for the murder of Angela Subrise. If he were to confess to Tanya's murder and be sentenced to death in Oregon, he'd be on easy street. What did his lawyer tell him all this? Definitely. Oregon hadn't killed a prisoner since 1960, and in all likelihood, he would be given the death penalty ceremonially, and then it would be immediately commuted to life sentence in prison. Mm-hmm. It took a field trip to Tanya's dump site for police to believe him. He led them right to where she was found and included body positions that no one besides killer and cop would know. Mm -hmm. 
In the meantime, while Jesperson waited to enter his plea for murdering Tanya Bennett, and as the state of Wyoming continued building its case against him for the murder of Subrise, Jesperson continued his many contacts with the news media, claiming responsibility for the murders of a number of other women. All in all, he claimed responsibility for over 160 murders across the country. However, like the confession killer Henry Lee Lucas, Jesperson would later recant most of these confessions because they were bullshit. He was just trying to be popular. He wanted his 15 minutes extended a little longer, you know. Fucking, it don't matter. He was done anyway, so yeah. it really, it really did. In October 95, just before his trial was slated to begin, Keith Jesperson pleaded guilty to the murder of Julie Ann Winningham before Clark County, Washington Superior Court Judge Robert L. Harris. Harris would sentence Jesperson to life in prison in December following proceedings in Oregon. Meanwhile, Jesperson waived extradition from Clark County and was transferred to Oregon. On Thursday, November 2, 1995, after waiving all of his rights, he entered a no-contest plea before Multnomah mm. County presiding judge Donald H. Launder for the murder mm. of Tanya Bennett. Launder immediately sentenced Jesperson to life in prison, setting a minimum 30-year prison term before being eligible for parole. There was another Oregon case involving Jesperson that had to be dealt with in the meantime, the murder of 23-year-old Lori Ann Pentland. According to the Marion County District Attorney's Office, investigators linked Jesperson to Pentland's murder through DNA and other forensic evidence mm. after learning that Jesperson was, in fact, the happy-faced killer. I know they was happy to get this motherfucker, no pun intended. Super. Super. I mean... God. And as these things keep clicking into place for them, I know that each one has to feel like a almost mm -hmm. a mini orgasm for the investigators. Yeah. Yep. They're like, holy fuck, all this finally makes sense. Jesperson had written letters as the HFK after Pentland's murder claiming responsibility for her death and said that she was an acquaintance that he had contacted via Citizens Band Radio while in the Salem area. In mm. one of the letters, he said that he'd had sex with her several times. Jesperson was again sentenced to life in prison in Oregon, with a 30-year minimum term before parole eligibility. Following his sentencing in Washington, he was transferred to the Oregon State Pen to begin serving his two consecutive sentences. If he remains alive to complete these sentences in Oregon, mm -hmm. he will be transferred to Washington to begin serving his life sentence there. On November 27, 95, after serving more than four years in prison for a crime they didn't commit, Laverne Pavlinak and John Sosnowski were released from prison. Jesperson purportedly cried when he learned of their release. I doubt it. <laughs> it wasn't known, however, whether his tears were tears of happiness for the couple or tears of regret for having confessed to a murder that he knew he could have gotten away with. More than two years later, and considerable legal wrangling, the state of Wyoming finally succeeded in extraditing Jesperson for trial for the murder of Angela Subrise. For the next few months, as prosecutors prepared to go to trial, Jesperson taunted the authorities and threatened to force a costly trial by changing his story regarding the jurisdiction in which he killed Angela. Mm. At one point, he said that he had killed her in Wyoming, and at another point, he claimed he killed her in Nebraska. After going back and forth for some time surrounding Jesperson's deliberate misleading statements in his attempt to confuse yeah. authorities on who had jurisdiction to prosecute him, a deal was finally worked out. Jesperson agreed to plead guilty to murdering Angela in Wyoming if Laramie County prosecutors would agree to not seek the death penalty against him. So he got his fucking way in the end, didn't he? Mm -hmm. Not really, because he's still going to be locked up for yeah, the rest forever. of his days. If, if he lives past Oregon, he's got to do 30 in Washington. If he lives past that, he's got to do 30 in Wyoming, which is not possible. He'd be like 160. 
I mean, what do you want to do? Get out and keep killing? He just didn't want to get killed. That's all it is. He didn't want to get. He didn't want his life ended. <laughs> They're cowards. They're all <laughs> fucking cowards, man. Man. As a result, on June third, ninety-eight, District Judge Nicholas Calcocathis sentenced Jesperson to life in prison and ordered that the sentence run consecutive to the two life sentences in Oregon and the life sentence in Washington, leaving little doubt that he would die in prison. Afterward, he was promptly returned to his home, the Oregon State Pen. Mm. It remains to be seen whether any other jurisdictions, such as Florida or California, will prosecute Jesperson for murders that he confessed to in those states. So there's still it's still up in the air whether they'll ever bring him to trial in uh, California, Florida, anywhere else. They don't think he's going to make it, though. Yeah, they, they just don't think they need to. They just think it's it's... It would be nice for a clearance, you know, get yeah. some get some answers for those families. But yeah. at the same time, it costs lots and lots of money yeah. to uh, run a trial for somebody that's already guaranteed to die in prison. But I'm pretty sure they're telling them families, like, this is the dude. This is the guy. Yeah. But then if you say that, then you go, well, then why aren't you prosecuting? prosecuting for that. I know, it's hard. It's really hard. I would not like to be in that position on any side of it. Herschel, what do you think sound, of the HFK? It, it was good, but it, it does sound like <clears throat> too that they wanted to hurry up and get him on something before they get him on nothing. Yeah, then he'd be free. Mm -hmm. You really wouldn't have justice. You got a very small window yeah. to get a perfect case. Mm -hmm. Yep, terrible. We got a bad justice system here, Herb. Yep, that's just how she goes. The HFK, the HFK. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to another installment of Bumblebutt Podcast Sir, X. X X X. My name has been Adam. Yep. It, that, of course, has been Herschel. Yep. H-bomb. Uh, you can reach us on Instagram at Bumblebutt Podcast. X. X. Nope. No just X. at Bumblebutt Podcast. Let's do that over. <laughs> I was in his own, man. You could reach us on Instagram at Bumblebutt Podcast. And we'll uh, talk to you. I'll pass along any messages for Herschel. He's going to get an Instagram at some point so you can talk to him yeah. directly. And you can tell me happy birthday and shit. Yeah. And you can all wish Herball yep. a happy because, birthday. Because, you know, today there's definitely some liquor left in my bottle. Ooh. I'm, I'm definitely going to finish. You'll take a, a little liquid Ambien to go to bed tonight. Do you think um, liquor and Ambien, they say don't mix the two. No, don't. Liquid Ambien is what I'm saying. Oh, liquid Ambien. It's like liquid. Because the booze puts you to sleep. Oh, okay. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm. All right, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah. That's going to do it for all of us here at Bumblebutt Podcast X. We will see you next week for a, uh, uh, a Between the Bumbles. Next week is our sort of week off. Our, uh, yeah. Just uh, We'll just fuck around for a while. Yeah. All right, everybody. We'll see you next week. See you. Thanks for listening. Bye.